Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 3. And we will start reading in verse 12 into chapter 4, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another, day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that, no, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. And then verse 2, For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Well, last week we considered in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of the letter to the Hebrews how amazing it is that Jesus Christ, who is God himself, should not only partake of flesh and blood for our sake, but that he should suffer in the flesh for us, that having made propitiation for sins, having satisfied the righteousness of God, having sanctified us, he is not ashamed to call us brethren. So every time we call someone a brother or sister in Christ, it is, it is a confession, one to another, that Christ is not ashamed of us that he has drawn us both together into his house, that God is my father, that God is your father. In approaching chapter 3, we are called holy brethren. We are exhorted to consider, to take note of Jesus Christ, who is the apostle and high priest of our confession. This is a tremendous encouragement that you and I, called holy brethren, are welcomed to come to Jesus Christ, who is the only way to the Father. There is both significant encouragement as well as fearful warning throughout the book of Hebrews. And last week we considered the warning regarding our understanding of Jesus Christ both as God and as man. And we saw in chapter 2, verse 1, that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. And in the passage we've just read, we see a similar warning. In chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart 
that falls away from the living God. Scripture has laid out the glory of the person of Christ for us so far and exhorted us to dwell on him, to consider him. And now it warns us here. It says, take care, brethren. You claim to be partakers of a heavenly calling. You say you're a Christian. Beware. Consider carefully the proof of your present position before God. Because Christianity is not a theory. It is life in Christ. It is coming to the living God. So we see both a warning and a command for us here. Take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Later on in this letter, we see that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus Christ has tasted death for us. He has passed into heaven itself for us. The way to God was closed in the old covenant, but now the way is open for us in Jesus Christ. But God will not be made a fool. You see, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You can't claim Jesus Christ and then walk away and everything be fine in the end. So we see here that an evil, unbelieving heart is incompatible with salvation. Well, the context of this evil, unbelieving heart is Psalm 95, verse 7 through 11, which is quoted here for us by the author of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. So let's just read it here within Hebrews. You don't need to turn uh, for the moment, but starting at 3, verse 7. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and again a reminder, these aren't just words that some man wrote a long time ago. These are words from God. These are words of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So what the author to the Hebrews does is he quotes uh, this section from Psalm 95 and then he gives a running commentary on this psalm. So for instance, if you look at verse 8 of chapter 3 here, you see there, do not harden your hearts, okay? And then look at verse uh, 13, the latter part, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, okay? Verse 8 again, the second part, middle there. Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, okay? Now verse 16, for who provoked him when they had heard? Verse 10, therefore I was angry with this generation. Verse 17, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? And then verse 11, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? So you see what he's doing here. You see the flow, a commentary on that psalm. Well, the question is, who, who provoked God? That's what he asks. With whom was he angry for 40 years? To whom did he swear 
that they would not enter his rest? The answer is those who are led out of Egypt by Moses, those who sinned against God, those who disobeyed God. And the outcome of their sin, of their disobedience, was that they died in the wilderness. Right? They weren't, they weren't able to enter. Well, what exactly is Psalm 95 talking about? Hebrews is recalling to us a very particular historical event. We are being warned not to have an evil, unbelieving heart. We're being warned against having a hardened heart. If you were to turn to Psalm 95 and look at that closely, you would see in verse 8 there, it says, Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, which was a place, a place of strife, as in the day of Massa, temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had not seen, though they had seen my work. So to understand these events, we have to look back at, the, at the, uh, the full context here. So turn with me now to Exodus chapter 17. And we'll just read seven verses here, Exodus 17. Starting in verse 1. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of Sin, or Zin, was a, was a particular wilderness, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children? and our livestock with thirst. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do to this people? A little more, and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa, that is, test, and Meribah, quarrel, because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Ever since God had delivered Israel out of Egypt, they had been grumbling against the Lord. If you look at just the preceding two chapters in Exodus, the grumblings of the Israelites are mentioned at least seven times, again and again. Now, God had provided for them in the wilderness. He'd given them water and bread and meat. And then God leads Israel to a particular place called Rephidim. It's not that they just happened to wander here. They had been guided there by the command of the Lord. You remember that the Lord had been going out before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them on the way, to give them light. So we trust that here, too, God had supernaturally guided them to this place. He had brought them to a place where there was no water. And this was not the first time that God had brought them to a place with no water. Look at Exodus 
um, 15, starting at verse 22. Then the Lord led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Therefore he made for them a statute and regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy date trees, and they camped there beside the waters. They wandered around. It makes it sound like, but that's obviously not true. They were out in the wilderness, you know, for, for, for three days. One might almost be led to this idea that these, these poor people there had been kicked out of Egypt, and now they're just abandoned. That's not the case at all. They had been out in the wilderness here for three days, and finally they come, across, uh, come to a place with water, but it's bitter. They can't drink it at all. Well, God does this to test them to show them, to, to, to prove to them uh, a lack of faith in him and also to reveal his, his ability to provide for them. So Moses is led by the Lord to throw in this tree. The waters become sweet. And then after there, he, le- he leads them to this, sounds like a resort, basically, you know, 12 springs of water, 70 date trees. Israel had seen the provision of God. That's why I go back that far. It's not as though God had failed them. Right? It's not as though they had any reason to think that God might not provide for them water now at this place called Rephidim. They had seen the might of the Lord in the plagues in Egypt. They had seen the mercy of God in the first Passover. They had seen the holiness of God proclaimed in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. God gave Israel favor in the sight of their captors. They plundered Egypt as they left. They saw God destroy the world's foremost army in front of the Red Sea, right at the Red Sea. God preached a message of deliverance and redemption to the nation of Israel through Moses. He said that he would take Israel at his own, as his own people. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that they had good news preached to them, right, 4 verse 2. And what is their response here in Rephidim. Well, the Lord has provided for us so far. Let's wait on the Lord. No, the response is an evil, unbelieving heart. The people start fighting with Moses. They, they demand water from him. <clears throat> it says that they were testing the Lord, or as the Psalms record otherwise in, their, in the record, they were tempting the Lord. They were pressing against God, pushing God beyond the proper mark. It's not that they had a heart that was reverently asking for insight. Lord, show me what this means. Strengthen me in this. I want to understand. I know you're good, but I I just don't see. It is a heart that is pushing against God. Does God want us to come to him in our weakness? 
Obviously, yes. Many, many passages. In fact, what's the last verse of chapter 4 here in Hebrews? Therefore, let us draw near with confidence, right, to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Obviously, that's not what uh, the author here to the Hebrews is touching on at this point. You look at their heart. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? See, they're provoking God. They ask, is God among us or not? I don't even know if God's even here. They're not just suggesting that God had abandoned them, but they actually believe that God was working against them to do them harm. It is the height of unbelief. That's what we see here. That's what this unbelieving heart is, this evil unbelieving heart, the height of unbelief. It is a heart that is completely destitute of faith in God in the day of adversity. It is a hardened heart that that cannot, that will not exercise faith in God. And it is a heart that in spite of witnessing God's grace and provision, in spite of seeing the kindness of the Lord, it is a heart that grumbles and complains against the Lord, a heart that has no rational basis for distrusting the Lord at all, but it persists in rebelling against the will of God, an evil, unbelieving heart. And this is what we are warned against here in Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brethren, that there be not in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. The Israelites had fallen away from God. And as professing Christians here, we are warned, therefore let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience, goes on to say in this fourth chapter of Hebrews. Do not harden your hearts against God. Do not provoke God. Do not test God. Do not try him. Make sure that your heart is not going astray, Hebrews tells us. Paul says that Israel, as a nation, in 1 Corinthians 10, it's recorded there, Paul says that Israel ate spiritual food. Remember the manna from heaven? He says that they drank spiritual drink from a spiritual rock that was Christ himself. These are amazing Things God was among them. Paul goes on to say, though, that with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. So the example of the nation of Israel proves to us that just because God is in your midst doesn't mean that God is pleased with you. Just because you know something of God and have seen God work in a mighty way doesn't mean you're right with God, that you're truly a Christian. The Israelites saw miracle upon miracle, but God was not pleased with most of them. Do you hear his voice? Do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. So the first command here is what? Take care, brethren. 
by the grace of God, may there not be any one among us with an unbelieving heart, for such a person will not see heaven. The second command is as vital as the first. <clears throat> what is it there? Verse 13, chapter 3. But encourage one another. If you are in Jesus Christ, old things have passed away, new things have come. If you don't struggle in trusting God during a trial, praise God. But there may be a brother or sister here, there may be a professing Christian here who does struggle, and we are commanded to encourage one another and to do it day after day. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. If you're honest with the text here, you will see that by encouraging someone else in the faith, you may very well keep that person from falling away from the living God. You may keep that person from hell. Of all those who set out from Egypt, only Joshua and Caleb entered Canaan. The rest died in the wilderness. And the reason given here is that they did not believe God. And we are commanded here to encourage one another day after day. It has to be something frequent. <clears throat> we will not always have the opportunity, it says here, as long as it is still called today, encourage one another, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is why it is dangerous to be on your own in the Christian walk. You need the church. Grumbling against God, testing him during trial, is a sin that binds us. And in the end, it will keep us <clears throat> from God. It will keep us from heaven. And we need to help each other in the body fight against this. Matthew Henry has some useful thoughts on this. He said, nothing is more offensive to God than disbelief of his promise and despair of the performance of it because of some difficulties that seem to lie in the way. Let me read that again. Nothing is more offensive to God than disbelief of his promise and despair of the performance of it because of some difficulties that seem to lie in the way. The more experience we have had of the power and goodness of God, the greater is our sin if we distrust him. Hardness of heart is at the bottom of all our distrust of God and quarrels with him. 
the sins of others ought to warn us not to tread in their steps. And that's what we have here. Examples, warnings of unbelief. Don't follow in their steps. Be sure that you do not have an evil, unbelieving heart. It's a heart that grumbles and complains against God, particularly during trial. It's a heart that refuses to trust in the Lord during adversity. It is a faithless heart. What does Philippians say? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you'll prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God. We must encourage one another day after day so that none of us have a hardened, faithless heart. The other thing we see here is that true Christianity is marked by perseverance in the midst of trial. The true Christian holds fast, right? Verse 14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm. Until the end. We are God's house if we hold fast our confession. We already uh, looked at uh, in passing in last week in verse 6 of chapter 3. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. We are exhorted to hold fast, to cling to Christ. Now the point, I think, of all that we've considered so far is ultimately to lead us to verse 19 of chapter 3. So we see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The Israelites were not able to enter into Canaan because of unbelief. And just as those Israelites were not able to enter into a physical rest... Because they would not believe God, so you will not be able to enter a spiritual rest today and in eternity with God in heaven apart from faith. What is the response here? Another warning in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, let us fear. If while a promise remains of entering his rest, and it does, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Any one of you may even have the appearance that you're coming short of entering into God's rest by faith. See, Scripture is being very real here. God forbid there's the appearance of unbelief. God forbid that we've come all this way in life and at the end fall away from the living God and come short of salvation. Scripture leaves us without excuse. For in verse 2 of chapter 4, for indeed we have had good news preached to us. Haven't you had good news preached to you? It says, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, He lives to intercede for us. He's able to help us when tempted. That's all we considered last week. The good news preached to us. And here, amazingly, Scripture says that Israel had good news preached to them as well. They saw the promises of God, although they were at a distance. Well, what is the difference between those who died in the wilderness and those who entered into the promised land? What is the difference today between those 
who go to hell and those who are at heaven in the end. Scripture says the word has gone out. Man is without excuse. The difference is whether the word is united by faith in those who heard. God help us to throw off an evil, unbelieving heart. God help us to encourage one another day after day before it's too late. God help us to hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end, to cling to Christ. You see the urgency here in Hebrews. And then, of course, realizing that real Christianity unites the word of God with saving faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. God help us throw off unbelief. God help us trust in him in difficulty and by faith and obedience to him enter his rest today. Amen.